So it's fun, like, researching this kind of topic because you end up learning more, I feel, about yourself than really the the subject matter at hand. You know what I mean? Um, and what subject matter did you research for this episode exactly? Well, in the sense that, like, I learned that, like, I, I'm essentially God by, by researching... Uh, Egyptian folklore and things like that, like Ra and Amun Re. My middle name is Ray. So essentially, my my name is Tucker God Morrison, and that's just kind of a fun thing to learn about. Like I didn't know that I was God. I mean, I've always felt it, like deep inside. But it's cool to have that validation. So you're saying also that everyone named after like a holy prophet, like Jesus or Muhammad, or yeah, they're all Such they're like, all like, also like minor possess gods. godlike qualities. Yeah. Okay. But none of them are quite on my level because I'm me. You've met me, right? You know what I'm you know what I'm dealing with. Yeah, sure. I mean people don't know you that well, so they can't really maybe tell that you're joking, but maybe they can. Welcome everybody. And ADD Storytelling, the podcast in which we explore the myths and legends of our time. The past, the future, and the present, in no particular order, and sometimes less than perfect focus. My name is Tucker, middle name God, and as always, I'm joined by our diaphanous, neurodivergent, and ever so ecclesiastical, beautiful, simmering host, Maddie. Maddie, how are you doing? That was a lot of compliments this time. Yeah. <laughs> how you doing? I'm tired. We were just on strike, and then we started school this last week, so it's pretty crazy. Cool. Yeah. Talk about insane. So what are we talking about tonight? Well, I found a couple tales um, in this giant anthology of authentically recorded and translated tales from Egypt and the Middle East and things like that. And then the two that I found remind me of other tales that we've read on this podcast, but they're different. So I thought it'd be fun to read these two tales and then a couple like short little bursts because they're just like firsthand stories that and they're like short and they're like, this is a story about how I went and fixed my daughter's illness, etc. Beautiful. Um, give us give us all your little hand bursts as many as you want. Shoot those little little tiny bursts right into our ears. Let's do this. I'm very excited to hear your tales. Okay, so our... Divulge your knowledge upon my ears, Maddie. Our source for today... Let it drip down into my brain. ...is Folktales of Egypt, um, and it's translated by Hassan M. El-Shami. Recorded, <laughs> recorded of a bunch of different people, so not all of them have their full names or anything in here. Okay. This one kind of reminds me of, like, the Kitsune stories, because there's, like, an illusion sort of situation that happens where they're, like, living this nice thing or this not nice thing, and then they wake up and it's just like, whoa. So there's a... It's all been a lie. It's all been an illusion, yeah. Yes. So, um... Because that was a common theme in the Kitsune stories where they would marry someone that was actually a fox in disguise. And at the end of it, the fox would just fuck them over. And I, 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 well, mm, mm. now I think back, like, what, were they really ever, like, betrayed in any way other than the illusion of their partner being a human and then being a fox? Like, what else was taken from them? Well, I mean, that one guy was living under 
house with a bunch of fro- foxes and had fox children um, for like five days and they found them all emaciated. And then there were people that were like, you know, dying and sick. Yeah, it's a bummer. And it's also not <laughs> dissimilar to the Selkie stories, too, right? Selkies are the women that are kept against their will. So that's a different thing altogether. There are male Selkies, too. Right. As we, as we discussed. So the hero in this one is a dervish, so like a um, sort of Muslim hermit. Um, is this where we get the term whirling dervish from? I believe that's a type, like one sub-branch of this particular monk. Or a particular Muslim monk. But I don't actually know that much about them. But apparently in general... So dervishes... we shouldn't just wax philosophic on this point. And that we don't know the actual answers. Dervishes in general are viewed as austere, enigmatic, and capable of performing supernatural feats. So the Kitsune-level person in this is the monk. Okay. So he's the, you know. Do they whirl by any chance? This one's not a whirling dervish, just a normal one. It's also called a fakir, apparently. Fakir? F-A-K-I-R. Fakir? Oh, okay. Yeah. Fakir. So, here we go. Oh, it also reminds me of that one tale um, with, like, the fish prince. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah. Similar as well. The I mean, that was discussed. I don't remember the topic of the episode, but that's that comes from the Brothers Grimm story of the fish prince. But then we, we discussed it in another context. Yeah, I can't remember what episode that was. That might have been the Russian ones? Perhaps. Should cut all this out because it makes us sound like fools. So once there was a poor fisherman. Oh, this is called the Grateful Fish. The story. The Grateful Fish is the title of the story. It's pretty good. I like that. <laughs> so sounds like a modest mouse album. <laughs> once there was a poor fisherman who lived only on whatever fish he caught. Has there ever been a rich fisherman? Sometimes. I'm sorry to like just undercut us immediately, but truly. There's just fishermen that are not some... poor. They're huh? just fine. No, no, there's no there's no rich fishermen. I didn't say there are rich ones, but there are people that are fine. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 thoroughly distracted by this, but yeah, go on. He used to catch three fish a day. One for himself, one for his wife, and one for his son. Once he spent all day without catching anything. Finally, before sunset, he caught one small fish. He gave it to his son to carry. The son looked at the fish and saw that it was very small and looked like no other fish he had seen before. He said to himself, what's the use of this fish? And he threw it back into the river. Presumably this is on the Nile, correct? It doesn't say. These are Egyptian folklore tales? Yes, they're like, that's the compilation, but yeah. So if not, uh, yeah, it's probably the upper Nile and the Delta. Well, it doesn't say. So. I'm just going to say that now. So when his father saw that he threw the fish in the river, he's like, okay, you're not eating tonight because that was literally all of our food. The same thing happened the following day and the day after. This time the father said to the son, go away, don't ever come back. And the son went away. So he abandoned his child. The boy's name was Hassan. He had only a little bread and a little water with him. At midday, Hassan got his bread out and sat down to eat. A poor dervish came to him and said, Son, would you give me a drink of water? Hassan split his bread with him and gave him all the water he wanted. After the meal, they sat and talked. The dervish asked Hassan, Where are you going? Hassan said, I'm drifting from God's countries to God's peoples. And the dervish said, Then we'll walk together. I think that's an expression, like I have nowhere to go. Mm. So they went from one town to another until they came to a large city. The dervish said to his son, I'm going to the market to get something to eat. You wait for me at the coffee house. Hassan said, all right. But instead of going to the inn, he started looking at the people in the shops. As he was looking around, soldiers came around shouting, go to your homes, go to your homes. The sultan's daughter is going to the bath. Public bath. You can't see that, chick. If you, yeah, if she's going to the bath, you take off. Everybody in the street ran to his home except Hassan. He had no place to go. He saw the sultan's daughter coming down the street, with servants and maids were all around her. She was so beautiful that he could not move. 
When she saw him there staring at her, she was very angry and said to her guard, Arrest him! So they took Hassan and threw him in prison. When the dervish returned, people told him what had happened. He waited until it was night, took out two of Hassan's hairs that he had with them, and recited the Kursi chapter of the Quran. Immediately Hassan came through the window. That was pretty magic-y. I missed the point where it become, becomes magic He recited a verse from the Quran and... And he had two pieces of hair. Uh-huh. And then instead of being in prison, the boy popped through his window. Yeah, I mean, a boy will pop through your window whether or not you have hair. That's why we close our windows at night, Maddie, To prevent boys from popping through them. Hassan told him the story, and the dervish could see that he was sick with love. A few days passed, and Hassan's condition was getting worse. He couldn't eat any food or enjoy any drink. No medicine helped him. Finally, the dervish told him, I will let you see the sultan's daughter. The dervish opened a small can that had coal in it. With the dipstick, he put some coal on Hassan's eyelashes and wrote some magic words on his eyelashes and forehead. When he was finished, he said to Hassan, Now you can go see her. And Hassan wondered, How can this coal make me see her? The dervish answered, Now you are invisible. You can do whatever you want, but remember that God can still see you. Don't do anything to make him angry at you. So essentially he like wrote a sigil on him that empowered him with like a supernatural ability. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He's like a magic monk. Yeah. The term dipstick is interesting and sus. No, like literally like you take a stick and you dip it into the pot of coal and then you rub it on your eyes like eyeliner. Yeah, I get that. But just like a brush. It's just the phrase dipstick is upsetting to me. Well, it's two separate words. Yeah, I, 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 I just when I hear dipstick, I think of like a, a sugar candy or something of that nature, not a supernatural like a spell binding ability. But go on. Now Hassan left for the Sultan's palace. When he got there and saw the soldiers and guards, he could not believe what the dervish had told him. He came close to one of the guards and pushed him. The guard looked around and shouted, "Who? Who?" Now he realized that no one could see him, so he ran directly to the harem quarters. The sultan's daughter was lying in her bed. She could feel his presence, but she could not see him. Very fucking creepy. This is, yeah, this is getting a... a this bit, whole part's creepy. I don't... Yeah. So. Also, you're hitting that emphasis on sultan in an interesting way. But I like it, and I'm here for it. When food came, he sat down next to her and ate as much as he could. The sultan's daughter knew that there was somebody there, but she could not see any person. He spent two or three days in her room until finally the, go- the girl told the sultan. The sultan order- ordered all the doors and windows closed, and they searched every corner in the palace, but they did not find anybody. At last, an old woman said, If there's anybody hiding in here, I can bring him out. <laughs> old woman. The hedge witch comes out to play. She's yeah. like, oh, some bitch is doing something in here. Yeah, well, she got up her sleeve. And where's she been this whole time? If she can prove it, She's just been sitting idly by this whole time? Less three days? Well, it was three days until she told the sultan. So the old lady couldn't do anything until he was told that there was something going on. Right? The sultan gave her permission. Do all you think is necessary. She said, bring me some green cord cobs and some buffalo dung. She lit a big fire in the girl's room and put the cobs and dung into it. Smoke came out. It was thick enough to blind the Afrit. Oh, we're talking about Ifrit now? Oh yeah, it's spelled Afrit, but... but that's, that's still an Ifrit. Ifrit, yeah. yeah. So, we're talking... Uh, so, really thick smoke. al Gaib kind of situation where the, the other realm spirits are in play? I think it's just an expression. You know, something like thick as shit, that kind of thing. It was thick enough to blind the Ifrit. Hassan's eyes began to water, and the water washed away the coal from his eyelashes. The words the dervish had written were all wiped away. Now everybody saw him. Oh, that's fun. They arrested him and threw him into prison. This time he deserved to go to prison. So, just shit smoke <laughs> tends to have more moisture in it than, like, wood smoke? Uh, it's shit and corn cops. Yeah. Is that more know. of, a, like, a moist smoke Apparently than you get thick. from... It was thick enough to blind 
So. Yeah, but it also wiped away the, the markings. No, he cried because of the smoke. Ah, so the tears wiped it away. Yeah. Hmm, I see. Are you paying attention? I'm paying attention. The story's convoluted. Okay. So, this time he deserves to go to prison. But he is also a boy who's been under some stress lately, so I don't know. Perhaps the monk could have given him more guidance. Stressed boys don't (laughs) always deserve to go to prison, Maddie. Sometimes stressed boys... Well, he deserves to go to prison for stalking someone for three days. Oh, yeah. Sometimes when a stressed boy, like, goes into someone's room and just, like, watches them, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes that boy just needs some guidance. It's very, like, twilight of him. Yeah. (laughs) But he didn't sparkle, did he? No sparkling. No, no. He he just sat there in the corner and watched and ate. But his punishment's a little intense. So, they sent a crier with the drum through town saying, Hassan will have his head chopped off tomorrow for having entered the harem of the sultan. Well, that doesn't sound like he's in a tent at all. Well, but also, apparently, the daughter is not supposed to be seen at all, because that's why they cleared the streets. So it's probably like a big cultural faux pas what what he's done here. Other than the fact that it was creepy as shit, a la Twilight. So it's the sultan's daughter, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I probably don't want to do that. Um, This reminds me of the, there's a plot point in the graphic novel Berserk. It's quite similar to this. And he, uh, the the person that's uh, that's doing the bad bad with the uh, emperor's daughter uh, does be he gets put in prison for a year and has his tendons cut. Is that what's happening here? He's gonna have his head cut off. Oh well, see in the, in the one I was referring to, um, he doesn't have his head cut off, but he does become like a hell lord. Okay, is that what's happening here? No. Okay. Now the dervish sent a message to the sultan, saying, Hassan is my son, and I want your daughter's hand in marriage for him. The sultan got very angry and shouted at the vizier. I know I already did, but I have to interject about your pronunciation. Okay. Sultan? What's wrong with it? Sultan, right? I don't know. Who gives a shit? I do. (laughs) I love you. Carry on. The Sultan got very angry and shouted at the vizier. <laughs> <laughs> you go get me that man. The vizier left, having said, I'll he- I heard and I'll do, master. When the vizier got to the dervish, he said to him, The Sultan wants to see you. The dervish answered, I'll go with you after you have had some tea with me. They drank two or three glasses of tea and they left together. On their way, the dervish made a palace appear, a magnificent palace. Whose palace is this? The vizier asked in amazement. Yours. Mine? Of course, said the dervish. Let's go in. This palace was second to none. The vizier said, It's so cool in here. I'm going to take a nap. But be sure not to be late for the sultan. And he went to sleep. Sultan! Do you want me to switch to sultan? Yeah. It's it's really bothering you? It's, It's driving me crazy. Okay. And now our friend the sultan waited and waited and waited. Nobody came. He sent his soldiers to see what had happened. After looking everywhere, they finally found the vizier lying underneath a mule. The vizier was wet, for the mule had urinated over his head. Okay, well, well, all right, are we gonna just... Is that just the detail that then the story goes on to just move right past? Or does that play an important role? So... He fell asleep in a palace uh-huh. that was an illusion uh-huh. and woke up underneath a mule. Uh-huh. And now the vizier told the soldiers, By God, keep my secret. They promised him, Nobody will know. When the sultan saw the vizier, he, sa- he asked him, Where have you been? The vizier Getting answered, pissed on. Yeah, well, he's trying to hide his shame at this point. The vizier answered, Your majesty, you would not come with anybody but you. The sultan shouted, Go back and get him, or you'll have your head away from you, chopped off. The vizier said, let's both go, for he's going to have much more respect for you. So the two of them went. When they got to the dervishes, he received them with an alan wa salan. That's probably a common greeting. Alam alaikum. That's the greeting. And salam alaikum is the uh, goodbye, or the response. 
The sultan said, Neither Allah nor Salah, you come with me now. The dervish said, Where? The sultan answered, You will know later. The dervish said, I leave my affairs in God's hands. And all three of them left. On their way back to the sultan's palace, they came across a palace that was more beautiful than any they had ever seen. It was built of alternating bricks of gold and silver. The sultan wondered, I've never seen this place before. Whose palace is it? The dervish answered, It's yours, your majesty. Let's go in. The sultan inspected the palace until he came to the bath. There was a marble bathtub filled with glittering water. The sultan said, I'm going to take a dip. Of course, the vizier could not say anything. The sultan took off his clothes and stepped into the tub. As soon as he went underwater, he found himself changed into a woman standing by a riverbank. Yeah, crazy. I have questions, but I'm just going to let you keep going. A man came by and asked her, where are you from? She answered, I don't know. That is the sultan who became the woman. Yeah, yeah. When he realized that she was a limb cut off from a tree, mm. expression. It's a way to put it. He sure. ordered her, come with me, and he grabbed her. She shouted, take your hands off me. I'm the sultan. Sultan who, crazy woman, come with me. And he dragged her behind him. When they reached his tent, she found he had already three wives and 15 or 20 children. They all started ordering to do this and that. And at the end of the day, they fed her only crumbs. The following day, they piled up all their dirty clothes and said to her, Take these to the river and wash them. When she got there, she looked around and found nobody. She took her top garment off and took a dip in the river. As soon as she went underwater, she found herself changed back into the sultan. The dervish and the vizier were waiting for him at the edge of the tub. The vizier asked him, How was the bath? The sultan said, Nothing like it. You've got to take one too. You will like it very much. The vizier said, Your majesty, I, f- I feel cold. I don't, I don't need a bath. For he knew from experience what could happen. The sultan said, You are not cold. It is midsummer. I ordered you to get in the tub. I order you. <laughs> so the poor vizier took his clothes off. And as soon as he went underwater, he found himself changed to a woman standing at the riverbank. The man came back with a stick in his hand and started chasing her. You take all day to wash some clothes? She jumped into the water, and as soon as she went under, she found herself changed back into the vizier standing in the bathtub. When he got out, he said to the sultan, Your majesty, I think we should marry your daughter to the dervish's son. The sultan answered, This is the best counsel you have ever given. Good, good comment. The marriage took place, and they celebrated it for 40 nights and 40 days. And before the dervish left, he said to Hassan, Remember that fish you returned to the water three times? That was I. Ah, the story, like... The end. <laughs> what? I, what happened with the dude with the, uh, the, the marking on the forehead that got washed away? Hassan's the one that married the sultan's daughter. What do those two things really have to do with one another? Okay, so let me just quickly summarize it cool. for you. So, Hassan's a poor fisherman's son. Mm-hmm. He throws the same weird fish back into the water three times. His father tells him to get lost. He's basically homeless mm-hmm. with no food or resources. Got it. The monk, who's a wizard, finds him, takes care of him. Um, he sees the sultan's daughter accidentally, falls so madly in love with her he can't function. The dervish basically sets him up by saying, like, okay, you can go and look at her, and maybe you'll get better. Invisibly. Invisibly. He fucks that up. He gets thrown in prison. So then the dervish goes to the sultan and says, hey, that's my son. I want you to marry... But it's not his son. It's just this random boy. He adopted the boy. Yeah, but it's not his son. Yes. Yeah, so what does that have to do with the fish? Why the three fish? He lied. Why did we even talk about the three fish in the beginning? Because the fucking wizard's the fish. Wizard's the fish? The wizard's the fish. That's what he said. Remember the fish you returned to the water three times? That was me, the dervish. Hassan saved him three times. And I then like it. He gets him married to the sultan's daughter as a <laughs> thank you, basically. So basically he has such control over these people's minds that he's like, if you don't do what I want, then I'm just going to keep tossing you into different illusions till you agree, basically. 
because he's a wizard. I'm so shocked that you hated it. I thought I had a lot of good twists and turns. <laughs> it's it. I'm just, I'm just fine with it. I didn't actually hate it. I kind of hated it. I didn't hate it. Okay, so the next one's also kind of a magic story. This reminds me kind of the Baba Yaga one. And the last one was very Russian as well, like with the, the talking magic fish. It's <laughs> a Russian story. So, I don't know if you're trying to move through these fast, but they sure are Russian. It's basically called The Magician's Apprentice. But it's the Magrabi's apprentice. So that's the magician. So in this story, he plays a dual villainous role. He's the child instructor and also his enemy. So the other thing you need to know is there are some folk connections to two creatures that are in this story. So there's a mongoose and a rooster. And, and this is still Egypt? Egyptian yeah. folklore? Uh-huh. Really? So it's believed that a jinn can assume the form of a rooster. It's an ancient Arab belief that portrays the rooster of the jinn as a powerful, unusually evil spirit. The mongoose is viewed with a considerable amount of mystery, especially as a snake killer. This view dates back to ancient Egypt, where the mongoose was venerated in many areas for that reason. Yeah, because there's an abundance of cobras in Egypt. Yes. Mongoose, mongooses are also venerated in India for being snake killers. Yeah, no, that yeah, I know that. I'm wondering, is this like late Egypt? It says this tale has its roots in ancient Egyptian religious narratives. Interesting. So perhaps it comes Carry from on. more a religious side piece than. So yeah, it sounds like Sinai kind of thing. Cool. Let's rock and roll. Okay. Once there was a man who was married, but he had no children. A man and his wife prayed to God to grant him a That's son. That's like me. <laughs> Except Sorry. for this next sentence. The man and his wife prayed to God to grant them a son, but the woman never became pregnant. One day, a Maghrabi, one of those who opened the book, quote-unquote, make amulets and write magic, a magician, obviously, passed by their house. The woman said, let's call him. Maybe he can do something. Husband said, all right. So this is very much also like the tale of the witch that's like, okay, I'll give you a kid if you give him me or like, whatever, let me have your kid at a this certain is, age, yeah, that whole thing. Fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm hooked in. This is like a <laughs> necromancer or someone that like takes the holy book and abuses it in a way that's like non like orthodox, like just using your holy text in a way that you should not. I love this. It's great. So they called the wizard, and he went upstairs to see them. He said to the woman and her husband, What's your story? They said, We have no children, and we are getting old. We are afraid we might die without leaving somebody behind us, without offspring. The Maghrabi answered, All right, I will give you what you want, but on one condition. They asked, What's the condition? He answered, If it's a girl, you keep her. But if it's a boy, I take him when he is seven years old. They asked him, Why? He answered, I will teach him and raise him to be knowledgeable. They implored him to be more merciful to them. May God lead your path. May God satisfy you. He said to them, it's no use. Either you agree to my condition or there will be no child. They said, we leave our affairs to God as you wish. The magician opened his book, took out a piece of paper and wrote on it. He wrote magic, of course, and gave it to the woman. He said, put it under your pillow for six days, and on the seventh, soak it in water and drink it. Also like the Bible story where they're like, drink this, and also, <laughs> this piece not of paper. And <laughs> also, unlike what we discussed in my episode about um, the Quran and uh, magic and medicine as a jinn, where you would actually write out passages from the Quran and imbibe them in order to have the literal word of God inside you. And yeah, let me use that magic. Yeah. No sooner had she done this than she became pregnant. Day in and day out, her stomach rose, and after nine months, she gave birth to a baby boy. 
was so beautiful that no one could stare directly at him. I, I had that problem as a child. <laughs> Come time, the boy whom they called Clever Muhammad grew up and began going to school. A while later, of course his father and mother had forgotten about the whole magician and everything, a man came to the boy and said to him, Clever Muhammad, say to your mother, the time has come. The boy forgot. This happened once, twice, three times, many times. Every time the boy would forget. Finally, the man put some stones in the boy's pocket and said to him, Say to your mother, the time has come. When the boy went home, his mother took his clothes to wash them and found the stones. She asked, What's this? The boy answered, Oh yes, a man met me and said to me, Tell your mother, the time has come. When his mother heard this, she became horrified and ran to the boy's father to tell him. They locked the boy in his room and said to him, Don't open the windows or doors. The Maghrabi came. When they refused to give him the boy, he said, All right, and left. <laughs> no arguments. He went downstairs and sat next to the staircase, took his book out, and began reading. He looked and found the boy in front of him. He took the boy by his hand and flew up into the air. After a while, he asked the boy, What do you see? The boy looked down and said, I see my mother and father crying over me. They kept going on up. Again, the Maghrabi asked him, What do you see? The boy answered, I see our house in our neighborhood. What about now? The boy answered, I see the world like a matchbox. Which is a very cute little thing to say. This delightfully <laughs> obtuse. <laughs> they finally reached the home of the Maghrabi. They went in, and the Maghrabi gave the, bo the boy a book to read. He also gave him 40 keys, less one key, and said to him, You can open all of these rooms except the last one. Now I will go out tending my work. When I get back, I will find that you have learned the whole book. So this is very much like the Sorcerer's Apprentice mm, yes. kind of thing, and also like Baba Yagi, where she just like throws him in there, and they're like, okay. See you well, later. It's also that kind Here's of like task. gatekeeping <laughs> of like secret knowledge. I have a step, uh, a tale I would like to read to you for this episode. It seems applicable. Okay, let's see. The Maghrabi departed, leaving the boy all alone. The boy was very frightened, but he was also very intelligent. He learned the book inside and out in one day and waited for the Maghrabi to get back. When he did not, the boy became restless. He said to himself, I'll see what's in these rooms. He got the keys out and began opening the rooms one after another. In the first room, he found foods and drinks, roasted chicken, roasted pigeon, and everything. He sat down and ate until he was full. You ever had pigeon? Mm-mm. It's not good. <laughs> in the second room, he found all kinds of fruits, bananas, apples, pears. How do you, like, how do you feel about bananas, though? <laughs> He had his dessert, and when he was full, he said, thanks to God. In the third room, he found silver and gold. In the fourth, he found rubies and emeralds. Each room was fuller than the previous one. He kept on opening all the rooms until he got to the last one. Then he remembered that the Maghrabi had told him not to open it. He started thinking, boy, should you open it or should you not? Should you open it? Should you not? Should you open it? Should you not? Very much like a loves me, loves me, that kind of thing. He finally says to himself, there's only one life, and there's only one God. I will open it and see. He literally said the ancient version of YOLO. <laughs> well, it's that plus I'm now realizing. <laughs> As per our conversation earlier about, like, when in time this is all happening, how it's Egyptian folklore versus, like, Arabian folklore. Like, it's, this is all, this is a post-Muhammad era yeah. that we're discussing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, they're also told by real people, like, recorded. So this one was recorded in 1969. Okay, yeah. From a 19-year-old farmer. Damn. So. I bet he's a hunk. He finally said to himself, YOLO, when he opened the door. He said YOLO? There's only one lifespan and there's only one God. I will open it and see. Ancient YOLO. <laughs> I made that joke earlier. You missed it. No, I heard it earlier. I just didn't want to address it. Now you're forcing it upon me. And yeah, it's funny. You left. Yeah. When he opened the door, he looked and found a girl hanging down the, from the ceiling by her hair. 
<laughs> All right, that's that's kind of fucked up. But yeah, mm-hmm. she was in the middle of the room. He became frightened. He ran out, but before he closed the door, she called to him, "Clever Muhammad, come here. Don't be afraid. I'm predestined for you." He returned and looked. The girl was very beautiful. No one is beautiful except Muhammad, the Prophet. May the best of prayers and greetings be upon him. I guess that was another expression because it's in minor quotes. The girl said to him, let me down. He said to her, how? There's no ladder. There's no knife. How am I going to get you down? She said to him, on the table over there in that corner, you will find a pair of open scissors. Shut them and that will bring me down. As soon as he shut the scissors, he found the girl on the floor. She said to him, bring me some water. So he went and did so. After she drank, he asked her, what's your story? She answered him, my story is exactly like yours. And she began to tell him what happened to her with a magician. She said to him, I'm the daughter of the king of such and such a kingdom. My father and my mother had me when they were very old. And Magrabi used to come and tell fortunes to my father. He saw me and wanted to take me away. When my father refused, he brought me here by magic. He wants to use me in his magic, but I refuse. He said to me, I will hang you by your hair until you say yes. After this, the girl asked him, clever Muhammad, that is, have you learned the book which he gave you? He answered, yes. She said to him, if he asks you, have you learned the book? Say no, because after you have learned it, he's going to kill you. Very much Baba Yaga-y. Yeah. yeah. Do the tax and then I'll eat you for dinner, that sort of thing. Day after day, <laughs> <laughs> the boy and the girl waited for the Magrabi until a whole year had passed. One day the girl said to him, I feel that the Magrabi is coming today. Put me back where you found me. He took her to the room and opened the scissors again, and once again she was hanging down by her hair as before. He locked the door and went out. A short while later, the Magrabi came and asked him, Did you learn the book? Can you recite what's in the book? The boy answered, Learn what? What book? The Magrabi became angry and said, The book I gave to you. The boy answered, Oh yes, that book, yes. With every question the Magrabi asked him, the boy answered, No ifs, no buts, and no Zabani shop, a nonsensical statement. Um, there's like, yeah, it's a translated thing. So, whatever. So, um, every time that he asked him, he just answered nonsense. And the Magrabi thought maybe he did not have enough time. So he left him and went away for another year. When he got back, the same thing happened. A year later, what did you learn, boy? The Magrabi was astonished, for he knew, through his magic books, that the boy was very clever, and that he was going to become something very important. Deep. Finally, he said to himself, Maybe I made a mistake. The boy is an idiot. Oh. He said to the boy, Get lost. Go home to your mother. When the boy went home to his mother, her eyes had been torn off from crying over him. She, he knocked Whoa, at the door. That, yeah. That's an interesting terminology, but I, I am here for it. Her eyes have been torn off off from crying crying over him. Yeah. Who, who is it? It is I, Muhammad. Huh. Do not let me sit with that as long as I want to, but okay. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Muhammad must be dead now. Open, mother. I'm clever Muhammad. His mother thought that it was the children of the neighborhood playing tricks on her. She took a full can of water to splatter on them. When she opened the door, she found that the smell was like that of her son. The two of them embraced, and immediately she regained her sight. She asked him, Where were you, my son? He told her the whole story from hello to goodbye. After he was rested, he said to his mother, Listen, mother, I'm going to turn myself into a water buffalo. His mother's like, What? A water buffalo? Is this what you learned? He said, Just wait. I'll turn myself into a water buffalo, and you take me to the market and sell me to the merchants there, but don't you ever sell my rope. The one that's holding the buffalo. So the plan is to put the enchantment in the rope. He's going to turn into a water buffalo so that she can sell him and make money. So they're going to do this scheme a couple times. And they're like, okay, don't sell the rope. Only sell the water buffalo. And people are like, why the fuck won't you sell me the rope? And she's like, my late husband, you know, braided it. Jerry. Fine, whatever. So the first one, she sold him the water buffalo. So the merchant gave her back the rope took the buffalo, and after a while he looked behind him, and he found there was nothing but his own rope. 
so he almost went crazy. He couldn't find the water buffalo anywhere and finally placed his loss in God's hands. So, same thing. They're going to do that again. He becomes an ox. Same thing. Mm. You know, they sell a few more livestock this way, and now they have enough money to just kind of get by and get get some, like, new things and kind of live nicely. And so his paternal uncle is like, where the fuck are you getting this money? You better help me right now. Or, you know, something bad's going to happen to you. Because apparently the paternal uncle is not a nice person in this one. I was just kind of upset with, like, why are y'all, like, suddenly making such gains? Yeah, basically. Like, where are you getting all this stuff? Like, help me out. So It then, doesn't necessarily need to be a bad uncle to just, like, want to be incredulous when your family members are suddenly just shooting up. Basically, the boy's like, okay, I'll help you out. I'm going to turn into a stallion. Can... Classic, yeah. Classic uh, res- response. Yeah, he's like, you Turns can sell the stallion, stallion, but don't sell the rope. You know, uh-huh. whatever. So then the fucking magician flies back down. And he's like, oh my God, that's the fucking boy I kidnapped. This is what I'm talking about with these stories. There are way too many characters. That Okay. I don't know if it's just me or it's not. It's just you. I want to hear from the audience, but like for me... So the wizard comes down. He's like, that's the boy I kidnapped. He learned the shit that was in the book. So now I want him back because he can do the thing that I want him to do now. And, you know, the uncle's not supposed to sell the rope because that's the enchantment, right? Mm-hmm. So the Magrabi's like, I'll give you another 500 pounds to um, give me that rope. And he's like, the boy's uncle's like, yeah, sure. Fuck it. Take the rope. Here you go. <laughs> and then. <laughs> Hard pressed. Yeah, the moment the boy heard this, he turned himself into a pigeon and flew into the air. The Magravi made himself a falcon, chased the pigeon. They flew after each other until the falcon almost overtook the pigeon. The pigeon made itself into a pomegranate, fell into the king's garden. Now this is where it's getting crazy. They're just jazzing with it now. It chanced that the king was sitting in the garden, and the pomegranate fell into his lap. The falcon turned itself into a different type of bird. Dived at the pomegranate. Wait, is that what it it says? It's getting hyper-specific with falcon to pomegranate and then just something else. Well, it's called a hoopoe bird, but I don't know what kind of... Or a hood-hood bird. Okay. I don't know what kind of bird that is. specific. All right. I'll I'll allow it. The pomegranate split in two. It seeds scattering everywhere. The bird made itself a rooster and began to pick up the pomegranate seeds, the evil rooster. Mm-hmm. He gulped down all the seeds except one underneath the king's chair. The rooster did not see it. This seed contained the boy's soul. So he narrowly escapes. Suddenly, the seed becomes a mongoose. Darted that the rooster caught it by its neck. Bit it and biting. Basically tearing it apart until the rooster was dead. After this, the mongoose turned itself into a boy again. All this happened in front of whom? The king. The king was very astonished. He said to the boy, you're not leaving here until you tell me the story. The boy told him the whole story about how the Magrabi kidnapped him and took him to his palace, oh and how God, the girl was hung so by her hair. The king asked him, does this girl look like such and such? The boy said yes. The king said, she's my daughter, and this Magrabi kidnapped her. They went and got the girl from the house of the Magrabi. The boy and the girl got married, and they lived in happiness and prosperity. Good for them. And begat boys and girls. So what's the moral? What's yeah. the moral? Yeah, what's the moral of the story? It's just an interesting story. Oh, my God. So I found uh, your tales to be, um, they were enjoyable, lovely. I I was engrossed by them, but I, I was, uh, how do I put this, extremely confused just because of the, uh, the abundance of characters and plot points, uh, the varying threads that were kind of interconnected. And, and and perhaps I'm um, someone that's unable to pay attention. Perhaps. That... Oh, that might be the theme of the podcast. <laughs> well, I have a tale for you, if you would like to hear it. Yeah. It's spoken from the point of view of a colonizer, if that's all right with you. It's this man, um, James Richardson. He was a British envoy to Libya in the 19th century. 
While in Libya, he was uh, patrolling the area around the area known as Kesar Janun, locally known as the Demon's Palace. Mm-hmm. So, being a white dickhead, he thought, I'm approved to these people, his local guides. This place is not actually haunted. It's not full of demons. Y'all are silly. I am a Christian man. I'll show you what's what. Here's the account of what happened next. So this is like a real life account or whatever? Yes. I got within the mysterious precincts of the great mountain rock in the course of three quarters of an hour. I had, however, still more fear of the living than the dead. I looked around anxiously, this way and that way, and every way, if perchance there might lurk as the demon in the mountains some stray bandit. Reassuring myself, my thoughts turned on science. I wished to astonish the boobies of the British Museum by geological specimens from far-famed place of mortal and immortal spirits, built in the heart of the great desert. I picked up various pieces of stone, which lay scattered at its rocky base. This done, as connoisseur of geology, I stood rock still and gaped open-mouthed like an idiot at the huge pyramidal ribs of the rock. I now turned my back to the demon's cavern without having the honor or pleasure of making a single acquiescence amongst these demi-immortals, and I must hasten back to my supper. I started on my return as carelessly as I came, with this foolish difference that I fancied I would take a shorter cut back to supper beginning to feel hungry, having eaten nothing since morning. In ten minutes, I made sure of my encampment and ran right up to the same mounds of sand topped with bushes where I encamped to find Said with the supper already cooked and then a guy lying slick nugly by, eating her dates and barley. But that was not the encampment. The sun was now gone and following hard upon his heels were lurid fleecy clouds of red. I now looked a little further and said to myself, There they are, and I went to, There they are, and I found no encampment. I continued still further and said, Ah, there they are, and went to, Ah, there they are, and found no encampment. I now made a turn to the south and saw them encamped quietly underneath various mounds and went to various mounds. The encampment sunk under the earth. I should soon see their fires, and was extremely glad to notice all the light of day quenched in the paling light of the rising crescent. Some five or six days old, I thus continued cheerfully in my search another quarter of an hour, when all at once, as if struck by an electric shock, it flashed across my mind. I might be lost for the night, and be obliged to take my bed in the open desert. The fear and the thought of being lost in the desert now mastered every other consideration. The mountain had now at night assumed another shape, other forms, other colors. Probably the demons were dancing all over it. All was vain. Fatigue was overpowering me, and my senses began to reel like a drunken man. And now was the time to see the visions and mysteries of this dread abode and unconsciously to utter the sounds of unknown tongues. Now indeed, I fancied, I heard people call me, and now I saw lights. I saw a camel with a person mounted in search of me, to whom I called. Every tuft of grass, every bush, every little mound of earth shaped itself into a camel, a man, a sheep. As something living and moving. Although the day was pretty well developed, I was staggered at the deceptions and phantasms of the desert. Every moment a camel loomed in sight, which was no camel. There was also a hideous sameness. The reason, indeed, I was lost, for there was no distinguishing marks. So it came to pass that I nearly lost my life for the sake of confirming them more strongly than ever in their superstitions. I, 
who is to have taught them to follow their fears by practical and demonstrable defiance of the genie, confirmed and sealed the power of the genie over this desert. Essentially, it's a white guy who was the ambassador well, to okay. Libya. So let me just summarize this yeah, see if I got okay. it. So, one, he got guys to take him to the place that was haunted and full of evil spirits, and then he got he lost was like, and hallucinated. Yo, yo, just let me, let, let me hang out here for the night. And they're like, that's stupid as shit. And they, they, they fucking took off. And we're like, yeah, you can stay there. And yeah, he got lost. And fucking haunted all night. And then almost died trying to get out of that desert. Yeah, sounds like an idiot. Also, um, it's hysterical that you thought that that was easier to understand. That like meandering old white guy kind of way of talking that literally no one finds relatable. That I I appreciate you wholeheartedly for calling me out on that. That is not in any way like narrative prose that is easy to like follow no. or understand, especially not in the weird voice you're reading it in. You didn't like my guttural voice? No, I liked it, but I don't think it made the story easier to understand. <laughs> Truly, yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, thank you everybody for listening to another episode of ADD Storytelling. This has been a pleasure. I mean, we're just we're two competing hosts this time. Which <laughs> which story was harder to understand? Let, let, you tell let us. us. Know. <laughs> so we were recently featured on the New York City podcast like favorite episode. Like Tucker's last um, Furious episode got featured on that little website that we are you know. So if you want to check us out there, you can. Um, they have lots of other podcasts. The fuck are you talking about? Yeah, it's the surprise. Did you not tell me about this? No. What? Yeah. Huh? I got an email. What? They said our, we were on the favorites page. Of what? The anyway. New York City Podcast Network. Wow. Okay, cool. So, well, yeah. Anyway, we'll be back again in two weeks. Thanks for being here, everybody. Love y'all. Hope you um uh, took more from this and uh, understood it in a more linear sense than... I did, your uh, your steadfast host. Tucker. I haven't seen you got this episode since we were doing the Mayan Death God ones. Yeah. It's been a minute. You were just like, I can't follow what's happening. I was like, it's a linear story. And you were like, no, it's not. <laughs> follow us on um, Instagram at ADD Storytelling Podcast. Um, Email us at ADD Storyteller at gmail.com. There it is. And yeah. Tell your friends. Tell your dad. Tell your Get aunt. your mom involved. Good night, everybody.